Recent statistics show that 59% of millennials raised in church no longer attend, but only marginal increases in atheism or even agnosticism accompany those statistics. So what is it about this group of people? We aren't walking out of church because we don't believe there's a God. We're walking out of church because for some reason we find ourselves unchurchable. A lot of people who walk away from church but hold on to faith and spirituality cite issues with doctrine, stances on equality or social justice issues, or even their social experience within the church as their reason for walking. Among these topics, a big one is purity culture, the church's attitude towards sex and sexuality, particularly for women. So welcome to today's topic with Blair Rabin of Talk Purity to Me. I'm Kit Kennedy and this is Unchurchable. Hello and welcome to another episode of Unchurchable. It seems like the topic of purity culture seems to be kind of popping up for attention uh, now and when this happens with the rabbit hole I generally just run with it. I found this super fun Instagram account called Talk Purity to Me and I started following it and then last week something popped up that really grabbed my attention and it was a move to kind of try and get a particular account banned on Instagram as it uh, was promoting uh, sexual orientation and gender identity change efforts. Um, and this is a hot topic for me and it's what introduced me to Blair Rabin, who is the woman behind Talk Purity to Me. And here she is on the podcast today. How are you, Blair? I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here and to be chatting. Yes. Now you tell me, it, uh, this makes me jealous a little bit because we're <laughs> in the thick of winter over here. Oh, right. You're suffering through our South Carolina summer, so yeah, opposite. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> opposite ends of the uh, of the experience with the weather, but um, similar experience with growing up in purity culture. Can you tell me what led you to start that Instagram account? Yes. Yeah, so um, around October of last year, which would be October two thousand nineteen, I put out this question on my personal Instagram stories, you know, popped a little question box up there, just asking my followers on my personal account, how purity culture has affected them. And I was truly just overwhelmed by the responses that I was getting. And I just, um, just the advocate side of me, I, I really, if I see something you know, an injustice or something I think in the world is not right. I, mm -hmm. I want to figure out how I can help. And so I was just like brainstorming all these things. I was like, what if we have, you know, kind of like a support group or what if we do, you know, I had all these thoughts running through my head and the easiest thing that I could think of was, you know, to just start with an Instagram account to sort mm -hmm. of you know, I'm processing my thoughts about it, I'm hearing from others, and that's kind of how it all started. And it's obviously hit quite a chord because you quickly climbed up into the thousands in terms of followership. Um, and it's a really interesting time in history to be doing it because we've seen um, the the famous or infamous author of um, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, Josh Harris, actually mm -hmm. deconstruct his faith and walk away from it. Now, it seems for a lot of people that deconstructing purity culture kind of runs very closely with deconstructing faith which doesn't always mean deconverting necessarily mm -hmm. but but deconstructing faith um, so it can be a confronting thing for people to try to um, 
to uh, kind of kind of work through. So what have you found has been part of the common experiences that people have shared with you? Um, I, I think one of the biggest things is just how much hurt there is and how much people um, want to talk about this. They want to talk mm. about the ways in which purity culture has hurt them. I have you know, young followers, I have followers in their teens, and I have all the way up to 50s, 60s, you know, much older people, much older than I am. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just see, you know, no matter what age you are, where you're, you know, what country you're from, what kind of denomination you grew up in, purity culture, just, uh, it instills so much shame and Mm -hmm guilt in people for just the most normal thing in the world, which is being a human with sexual desires. And that's the thing that's been, um, you know, so mind blowing to me because in the church, obviously, you know, there's all these sermons about um, purity and sex and things like that. But at the same time, it's something that's seen as such a, um, such a holy thing meaning we can't talk about it we can't talk about the good the bad you know so when people when I opened up this outlet for people to talk about it I mean people tell me the most personal things about them and their lives and (laughs) I feel honored but also I'm just like wow no one has ever opened this conversation up in their lives that they could tell you know anyone else I for some of these people I I feel that I am the only person they've ever shared these stories with and that is so, I mean, yes, it, it, for you, that must be just huge. And I, I remember, because um, I, I, like, your story is a little the same and a little different to mine, because in Australia, um, we don't have abstinence-only sex education in schools, by and large. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these kids who were raised in purity culture in the church wouldn't, um, they wouldn't sit in for those sex ed classes at school a lot of us would walk out Um, I was homeschooled so I never got sex education at school and then we was raised in um (laughs) and this is kind of funny but I remember I remember my first uh period I had no idea what was happening I had not had the puberty talk um really and I was at my friend's house and then I was like okay I'm dying I'm dying I want to go home to die so I uh, got my phone I didn't mention it to my friend's mother she drove me home from a town about 15 minutes away and I get home kind of wanting to tell my mum and she's sitting at the table talking to a woman who had recently recovered from mad cow disease um I'm not even wow. <laughs> I thought she's got mad cow disease I can't interrupt that my mum was a pastor's wife so I just went through into my room and eventually mum came in to see whether I was okay and I she handed me a book called preparing for adolescence by Dr James Dobson and that oh, was my no. Sex <laughs> oh was, no yeah yeah and um but um yeah I mean after she kind of handed me the book and then I got the purity chat and that was kind of it. That was, that was my experience and I was a pastor's daughter. So we're kind of held up as examples of how to behave and things like flirting was, <laughs> were disencouraged and like, you know, you can't, mm-hmm. like these most natural desires to interact, interact and, and to feel good and to kind of figure out 
what kind of person you you want to be with in the future and all of these things kind of get crushed by purity culture but that's a little bit different to your experience isn't it what was purity culture like for you yeah it, it is a little bit different because um my parents really weren't a huge influence in my indoctrination into purity culture that's how i describe it um mm -hmm. although they also didn't um really offer any other information that could have yeah. set me on a better path um, mm -hmm. other than purity culture. So in that way, they contributed to it. But, um, you know, I, I don't hold any resentment. But anyway, so my, my introduction was through a friend of mine. Um, her parents and her family, basically, they had a house church, you right. know, a for those who may not know, it's just a congregation that meets in someone's home, just like the name implies. But um, that is really the intro, my intro to purity yeah. culture. And I, I think I was at kind of the prime age to really take those ideas. I was around 13. I really took those mm -hmm. ideas and I just ran with it. And I was like, oh, OK, so, you know, someone is telling me how I can be good and, you know, please God. And, and so mm -hmm. I really just took that to heart and I I was the type of person who was like I not only want to abstain from sex I'm gonna not kiss I'm not gonna like be in, in any way physically involved um with anyone in terms of dating or something I mean I really took it to an extreme because yeah. that that was kind of the, the influences around me was that that was the best way that was like that was God's absolute best was to just mm. abstain from any kind of physical touch yeah. or anything. So, and so for those who have have only just uh, tuned in, because I suppose it's true that people usually don't listen to podcasts in order that they're published. Um, <laughs> purity culture. I mean, it's it, there's been lots of different incarnations of it over the years, hasn't mm -hmm. it? Like it started back in the you know 40s and 50s, don't touch anything under the swimsuit area. Mm -hmm. but then in the 90s, there was this real push and it was kind of bedded down in songs like DC Talks, I Don't Want It. Yes. Um, and, then, <laughs> and then Rebecca St. James is waiting for you and there was like – um, girls all over the world who had letters to their future husbands filed mm -hmm. away in these little glory boxes. Thank God I never did that one. Um, Purity Rings, um, a la Jonas Brothers. Um, mm, yep. And, and I, I do note with interest that none of those Purity Rings stayed on until the boys actually got married. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> yeah. And so there's, there's different versions of it, isn't there? Like there's the hardcore versions where mm -hmm. we're not kissing, holding hands, we're not flirting, we're not, um, we're like kind of submitting our desires. Like if we like someone, we tell our pastor and they pray about it. Um, that was sort of my experience um, was like that, that the pastor would pray about it and then kind of ask the other person <laughs> if they felt the same. Um, <laughs> Or there's, there's various different versions of it, aren't there? What, what are the kind of the, the extremes that you've seen in your experience running this blog? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, the whole, I, I don't know if you're familiar with this American family. They're called the Duggars. Oh, gosh, yes. Okay, yes. so that's like a very, very extreme version of it. Um, 
Nine, ten kids and counting. Nine, nine, ten kids and counting. And I think, I mean, I think they're at like 21 or 22 now. I've, I've really no idea. I, um, it's wild, but yeah. So there's like that extreme, you know, um, people not being alone in a room together, you know, always having a chaperone. Um, yeah, you know, there's, I mean, it's, it's really like the whole, not kissing till your wedding day because I, I think it's yeah. so wild that I I mean I used to want I used to say I wanted to do this but you know basically having your first kiss the first time you have sex be on the same day and like your first kiss be in front of everyone you know at your wedding I think I think That's that is pretty oh, extreme <laughs> <laughs> okay so so funny story um a wedding that I was actually made of honor in um they chose to save their first kiss for their wedding day. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> so, he, so he lifts the veil and she's looking into his eyes. He lifts the veil. He goes in and she goes <laughs> and looks no. down and just kind of looks down at the floor and it's like time slid to a just stop. And we were all kind of leaning forward going, just kiss him. Come on, just kiss him. Just come on. And it didn't happen. <laughs> and it's kind of become this legendary kind of story in, in my crowd. And I kind of decided, okay, I don't want my first kiss to be on my wedding day. So two days before Blair, two days before <laughs> we broke the rules. And uh, yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> Wow, what a yeah. rebel. I know, I know. And, and years <laughs> later... My dad was preaching and he said, yeah, um, he named me and my, my then husband, who's now come out as gay, mm. um, <laughs> he, he named us and goes, and they saved their first kiss for their wedding day. And I looked at, I looked at my husband and he looked at me and I went, well, I'm not going to fill him in. Like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. It was just, it was just mortifying. But anyway, yeah, so it's, it's big. And there's this expectation that you're going to transition from this pure as the driven snow kind mm-hmm. of chased person to an absolute bombshell within a, the, the period of hours but right. what people don't understand is there's this mental shift if you've treated sexual desire as sin up until that point it doesn't just become not sin in your mind mm-hmm. like that um, and and surely that must be be something that's a bit interesting for people to work through yeah I have um, friends of mine who they were very much indoctrinated in purity culture met in high school married you know Mm -hmm. shortly after high school and you know they've been married for I think 10 or 11 years and they have two kids together and they Mm -hmm. you know still talk about how there are struggles um yeah wow around shame and a sexual relationship and I mean Mm -hmm that to me speaks volumes because according to the church, according to everything they were supposed to do, they, they did everything right. And then there's still all these struggles. So clearly the, you know, quote, right thing that they were supposed to do, it, it has Mm. not been good for them. And I think it's exactly what you're saying. You know, shame is not a switch that you just flip after you get married. It's, um, it really wires your brain for the way you think about yourself and sexual relationships. It's um, it's a lot deeper than that. Yeah. Now I'm curious. Um, I like as I mentioned just before hit re- hitting record on this, I, I went and read kind of your story a little bit. 
um, I don't know whether it's updated since then, but at the time you were dating mm -hmm. um, somebody that you'd met on Tinder, that you yeah. were evolving in your faith alongside kind of deconstruction, deconstructing purity culture. So mm -hmm. what has this been like? What if, um, and I'm on the other side of this, like I've, I'm separated six months ago mm -hmm. um, from my husband who we actually still live together and uh, co-parenting two incredible kids. Um, and Aww. I'm so proud of him for um, recovering from the scars of gay conversion therapy. Mm. And that's why when you were talking about that particular Instagram account that was <laughs> promoting um, sexual orientation change efforts and conversion therapy, I was like, oh, I'm getting on this bandwagon because right? that stuff is so damaging to people. Like being the partner who has supported him through recovering from that, um, you know, it gives me some really clear insight into what, what that's like. But now after having been the perfect Christian girl, well, almost <laughs> perfect because I did kiss my guy two days before our wedding, so... Oh, I think good. that's so rich. What a Jezebel. <laughs> I know, right? Jezebel. <laughs> hey, you got called a false prophet during the wedding, didn't you? Did. Congratulations on that. Thank you. I am so proud. I want it on a business card. I'm going to actually make business cards just so I can put that on there. <laughs> well, not to brag, but I have been called a Jezebel in serious Oh, content, well then, so I'm, in, I'm in good company then. Yes, yes. A Jezebel <laughs> and a false prophet talking about sex. That is so great. <laughs> So what I'm learning is that, and it's a bit of a mind bender for me, what I'm mm -hmm. learning is that the Bible, as we read it in purity culture, was very much twisted towards a certain bent, mm -hmm. whereas like when you start to deconstruct, you realize it was about property, it was about inheritance, it was about ensuring that the first child of a woman was indeed the, the husband's child and you start to unpack these things and go, whoa, okay, th this is not the way I originally read the Bible. What's it been like for you in terms of, yeah, this discovery, I guess, as a single woman um, and then and then taking on the world of dating? Uh, yeah, so do you mean kind of like my experience when yeah. I first started dating outside of purity culture and then yeah, how yeah. it is now. Okay. So, yep. um, yeah, it was, it was really strange at first. And, um, when I first started really dating outside of the, you know, confines of purity culture, I was probably, um, 21, mm -hmm. 22 around in their late college. And then, you know, after graduation um and it's you know for so many years I was taught that basically any guy who was not associated with a church or wasn't a Christian or whatever or wasn't strong in their faith would just be you yeah. know sex obsessed and not yes. not respectful and not yeah. kind and only um only wanting to engage in a relationship with me or have a friendship with me with sex in mind. And so yeah. um, when that didn't happen, it was, it was a real mindfuck. I mean, it mm -hmm. really was. It was like, yep. <laughs> I was just yeah. like, I don't, what up is down. Like, I don't know what's yeah. going on. You know, yeah. these, these guys seem super respectful and kind and no one ever, you know, forced anything that I didn't want and so 
I just, that was kind of like a little bit of the foundations of what I thought about people outside of the church started to crumble. And then, you know, slowly that crumbles over time. And then, um, and there's, there's a certain irony, I think too, because there's a societal push at the moment with the Me Too movement and various different conversations that we're having about consent and feminism and the value of a person no matter what their gender or or sexual orientation is Um, there's this push for society to become more equitable and more um, you know safe for people yeah ironically the church seems to be the resistor in a lot like and I'm saying church with a capital C um, mm-hmm. meaning not any one church in particular, but that it seems to be the resistor in terms of a lot of these social movements. Um, it's almost like they want to keep the monopoly on good guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and prove that you're totally depraved unless you're going to church. But, yeah, it, it must have been a real mindfuck for you to, to quote your own adage there, um, <laughs> <laughs> to, to experience people as being good and, um, you know, did that lead to you looking at your wider faith and going, ooh la, what else is not quite right? Yeah, I think, um, and this is going into even deeper theological stuff that is probably a me, whole yeah. other conversation, but the kind of denomination that I found myself in in my teens and early 20s through that house church experience they were the kind of denomination that basically any, you know, physical, um, any physical malady or anything you're experiencing, your body is a direct result of sin. Yes, and so yes. that, you know, if you have allergies or something, which I do, that, oh, same. <laughs> that means that like there's some unresolved sin in your life and that mm-hmm. you can ask God to tell you what it is and he can help you resolve it. And then that, whatever it is, allergies or a broken Mm -hmm. leg or, you Mm -hmm. know, anything, literally anything, God can help you figure out what sin you have that's causing it and then resolve it and cure. Well, I guess they would say heal you. Yeah. That's what, that's the term. I'm like remembering the terminology (laughs) that I use and it's not cure, it's healing. Um, But so that was um there was a lot of fear associated with that obviously because when things would come up i would be like oh my goodness well what yeah in what way am i stepping outside of um, god's plan or in what way am i sinning so as i started to you know do these things that i had always thought is like sinning like you know being in a car alone with a boy and nothing bad was happening you know lightning wasn't striking me dead right there (laughs) I was yeah. like, this is all, what I really, it was really a long process, but y- yes, it was very, I think it's definitely linked and it's yeah. kind of like a chicken or the egg conversation. I don't know what really came first. Mm-hmm. If I started to deconstruct purity culture and then my faith started to shift a little, or if it was the, I, I it's hard for me to really decide which one, but yeah, I mean, they're definitely very much linked. That's, I do find that uh, a little bit resonant, what you're saying there, because purity culture and body shame really run hand in hand for me. 
Um, I'm also, I've got allergies. Um, for a long time, they were quite catastrophic. They were, I, I was anaphylactic, um, mm. which was super fun. Um, I'd also had an accident at gymnastics and I just, oh, I remember because often I'd be in a sling because my shoulder, um, there'd been some problems with my shoulder joint and I'd shattered my elbow and there were bones, like there was bone fragments that had floated into the joint so it would lock up. Oh, and goodness. I just, it was like pain was my daily experience from when I was like 11 years old. Um, and I remember like walking into church with a sling, you just knew there was going to be someone who'd come up and then either pray for you without your consent a lot of the time or like say well I prayed for you last week if you're not healed there must be some sin in your life you're like talking to a 13 year old like Mm -hmm. really I mean what can be so bad for a 13 year old that they've actually you know God made them trip over at gymnastics and and dislocate an elbow and a shoulder and you know whatever um like and it paints God as being quite vindictive and judgmental and um hyper reactive to every action and inaction which never really let me relax into my my growth as a teen I was always hyper responsible and always um really hyper aware of what other people were were thinking about me or Mm -hmm. um and yeah so so body shame both on a, a you know accident and allergy front and on a like desire front was something that that became really part of my experience and uh releasing that or unlearning that has been quite a process and sometimes even doing this podcast I sit back and go oh gosh this is my second session on purity culture and we've talked about it a few times and people must think that I'm a real get around and then there's this like um, mm-hmm. it's, it's not true. You can be sex positive and not be in a sexual relationship. Yeah. But but there's also this internal dialogue that it takes a while to actually kind of go. You know what? We can talk about things and we can feel positively towards other people's expressions of their own sexuality and not be. You know, like you yeah, know I mean? absolutely. That's kind of even from the very beginning of starting my account. Um, it's always been my desire to be able to welcome all kinds of people, um, religious, not religious, everyone of, you know, every um, sexual orientation or gender identity, ability, you know, all of the, all of the things I've really wanted to, you know, make it that inclusive environment. And it is true, you know, um, a person who is asexual can be sex positive. A person yes. who doesn't even desire sex can be because it's not about oh, positive. So I want to do everything that I've ever seen in a porno. It's I am comfortable <laughs> with myself. I'm comfortable yeah. with the sexuality of other people. And I am, you know, comfortable with, other people expressing their, you know, themselves sexually in a, you know, a healthy and consensual way and supporting that and not excluding that. And, you know, having the conversations that support your desire to be sex positive. And I think you've raised a couple of really important um, issues there. Healthy and consensual. Um, Big gap in sex education if you're Mm -hmm. raised in purity culture. Um, so yeah, 
I mean, consent has been an interesting thing and I touched on it a little bit with Erica Smith. Um, but, yeah, working through um, from an insider, what, what was that like for you kind of um, developing a, the assertiveness skills to be able to say, yes, no, I, I don't want this, I'm okay with this, um, when you've been taught submission and, and women are to obey and just kind of, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is a, all over the place questions so that what <laughs> no you you're good go. <laughs> <laughs> no I love it and I actually went through Erica's program so we've spent a lot oh. of time chatting um Ooh, and so I'm an official purity culture dropout I am I am a card carrying <laughs> member exactly um <laughs> yeah so I love her and I love her program and it's really um it's really interesting because I don't think that I ever heard the word consent in the context of sex or dating or anything like that or anything having to do with like physical touch um Mm -hmm. until later in my 20s I mean wow maybe just a few years ago it's hard to know exactly when a concept is presented to you but it wasn't that long ago in the grand scheme of my life definitely never um definitely never in in my church context or my abstinence only sex education was never yep. brought up. Um, yep. So it has been really interesting um, to just mm-hmm. think about how you can make sure that you're honoring your, like how I can make sure I'm honoring my body, how mm-hmm. I can be encouraging my partner to yep. honor their body and, you know, for them to be able to express what that means to me and for me to feel comfortable, you know, vice versa. Um, And to just really make that an everyday thing. It's, it's a learned skill and it's not comfortable at first, especially for purity culture, Um, purity culture survivors or dropouts. um, It's, it's really uncomfortable and it can be triggering for people it can cause a lot of anxiety but I just always encourage people you know just like anything else like you're gonna you're not gonna be very good at it at first most likely yeah um but it just takes practice and you have to trust yourself and yeah trust your body and yeah and this uh, this I think is an important thing to kind of chat about because in the grand scheme of things I think there's a lot of uh, and I love your business card. It's going to have purity culture dropout, <laughs> false prophet. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's really becoming quite a fancy little bio. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I want to get me one of those cards. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of people raised in purity culture, a la the Duggars, nineteen kids and counting, mm-hmm. um, were also raised in complementarian culture where women are equal in value but not in authority, where women are to submit to their husbands. And there can be kind of soft complementarianism where it's like not really spoken about. They don't speak a lot of it from the pulpit, but it's there in expectation. It's there tacitly. Um, And then there's like the hard complementarianism like the Duggars where it's like, you know, everyone's wearing kind of boat necks or skivvies and, you know, like (laughs) denim skirts that go down to the ground and modesty and all of that kind of hardcore stuff. 
But, um, you know, part of, part of my journey has been deconstructing soft complementarianism. I remember a conversation, um, you know, because I, I was an ambitious, well, like quietly ambitious, I think within the own, within the quietness of my mind, I did not want to marry a pastor. I did not want to stay in my small town. I wanted to write books. I wanted to study at university. But these weren't things that were like, you know, um, like I wanted to, to have some form of a, you know, a valid contribution to society um, other than motherhood. And motherhood is a beautiful contribution to society. And mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, I absolutely, I, I, like I take my hat off to stay home mothers because I've got two preschoolers who I love to death, but they drive me to the edge of insanity on the daily, <laughs> you know. You said you so have res- two preschoolers? Two preschoolers, Henry and Allegra. So I love them. They're they're twins. Yeah. Uh, no, well, Irish twins. They're sixteen months apart. Oh, okay. I just <laughs> yes. you, I picked up on it because I have a twin brother. So I was like, oh, whenever oh, really? I yeah, whenever I hear people talking about kids that are you know around the same age or something like that, I'm like, oh, is it twins? Because yeah, I'm yeah. a twin. So <laughs> no, although my father-in-law is an identical twin. Um, so like there was. There was that fear that we'd end up with twins as well. But um, no, no, it's uh, actually I had four pregnancy losses before Henry. Oh, wow. Um, and um, looking back, I, I do think that stress was a big part of that. Mm. And so I just yeah. kind of assumed that it was going to take us a long time to get pregnant with Allegra. Uh, it didn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so now they're in the same kinder room at daycare and they're going to go to school probably. It's going to be like raising twins. So, you know, that's, that's fun. But, um, yeah, so I kind of was always and there was this one explicit conversation where where I was told not to aim too high because I have to lay it all down for my husband mm-hmm. um and not to and and I remember just thinking this is not what I want um you know and I, I did when I did uh marry um my beautiful ex-husband <laughs> he's he was so egalitarian he was so um encouraging of me and it became this issue between us because I was like, uh, aren't I supposed to be laying everything down so you can be the big guy? Like, what is this bit where you're encouraging me to be my best self? Like, it really messed with my head. <laughs> um, so deconstructing purity culture ran hand in hand with deconstructing complementarianism, mm-hmm. um, ran hand in hand with sitting and looking at my faith and going, is this even the closest representation of the love compassion and inclusivity that we see in Christ when we kind of bunker down on issues like homosexuality being an abomination or like having sex out of marriage being somehow or a sin that is greater than so many others like Mm -hmm. it was a moment where I was like oh la this is a lot of you know I've, I've got to work through some of this stuff um so what do you what advice do you have for people who are kind of starting this process and and maybe a little bit fearful about where it's going to take them in terms of their faith or in terms of their walk with um you know denominational religion or their relationship again it's a choose your own adventure question yeah <laughs> well um you know I'm very honest about my experience in that I do not identify as a Christian and um, it 
I, I don't know that it's, like I kind of said earlier, I don't know that it's directly because of, um, because of deconstructing purity culture or leaving purity culture, but um, I am a person who, even outside of religion, I always had a lot of anxiety, Mm -hmm. and um, religion made it a lot worse, Mm -hmm. and I was not, um, I was not my best self. I wasn't my highest self inside of the religion that I grew up with. And for me, it was, it was a health thing. You know, I, I had anxiety to the point that I would become ill. Um, Mm -hmm. and it was just not a healthy place for me. And so I am a much more loving and much healthier and much happier person now outside of the religion that I grew up with. And I think that any, you know, religion that someone wants to be a part of that helps them live their best life and, you know, helps them love others. I I think that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And there are certainly things about my faith that I miss, but I would just say, don't be afraid to, um, to learn about yourself and to be, you're going to need every ounce of patience and grace for yourself that you can muster in this journey because it is not for the faint of heart. Um, yep. for those who are really going to deconstruct everything, you know, you could potentially be turning away from everything you were ever taught. And mm-hmm. it is not easy. It is, it is not an easy thing to do. And so just really, you know, have love and compassion for yourself and find others who are going to hold space for you in that journey. And tips on tips on that. How do you find those people? How have you found those people who are going to hold space? Yeah, I um, I think that I found those people in my life when I just started really being honest about where I was at, and um, mm-hmm. there was some coworkers at the time. It's not even a. I haven't even worked at this place for five years and you know they've all moved on as well but we've stayed close and you know when we all met we kind of were all on these different places of self-discovery which for some of us meant faith kind of questioning things and some different things for others of us but we all were just really raw with each other and I think that um really helped because Mm -hmm. If you want to find people who are going to be really honest with you, you have to be really honest with yourself and others. And, yeah. you know, the people who stick around, those are the ones who are going to see you through. Yeah. And do you know what? That is just so true. I think um, I I do still identify as a Christian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Most days. Most days. <laughs> you don't have to be scared to say that. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bite anyone's head off. No. No, like it's it's funny because um a, a beautiful friend of mine who has been a long serving member of um the of a large denominational church and she's such a beautiful soul, she's such a soft soul, she said to me, I have such an issue with the word Christian. 
you know, here mm-hmm. I am running an outreach service, but I have such an issue with the word Christian because it is loaded with homophobia and it is loaded with shame and it's loaded with these connotations. Um, but when people ask me if I'm a Christian, I kind of stumble my way through, oh, well, I follow the teachings of Christ and, and I, I believe in Jesus and, and it's weird for them and it's weird for me because I don't know how to, to phrase, yes, I'm a Christian without sounding like a complete bigot. Um, I have this other friend who has been through hell and back or maybe not quite back mm-hmm. um, over the course of the last 10 years and she said to me I have made a decision in my life not to allow people who can't be authentic or who won't be completely authentic and allow me to be completely authentic to be in my life and there was almost this kind of shame and defensiveness around her when she said that to me but I was like I'm so proud of you because that is a big bold step to be able to say, no, I can't be myself around you. I have to watch my P's and Q's. So you're not a safe person for me to interact with and to purposely seek out people who will only be authentic with you. That is actually a big, bold move. And um, deconstruction, we can land in all sorts of different places. Um, I've kind of, I've landed at a place where I definitely believe in the divine. I definitely believe in the spiritual I definitely don't believe that church is the best um, <laughs> manifestation of that. I think I've got one of my best friends is a she's a uh, a witch. She practices chaos magic, and the the conversations that she and I have are so meaningful, and I get so much from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, because but she also has this deep respect for not not the Christian faith, but but Jesus. Um, and like, that's really interesting for me. So I think a lot of deconstructing purity culture can also lead you to actually move into a place of going, what do I believe as a person? What is my value as a person? What are my boundaries as a person? And Mm -hmm. where are the boundaries of my integrity as a person? And, um, and that takes practice to be able to rest on them, doesn't it? It really does, and, you know, part of the reason why I think, um, at least in the American evangelical church, and I'm sure other places, it sounds like you had a pretty similar experience, um, Mm. you know, purity and really what we're talking about is virginity is set up as Mm -hmm. an idol for us. And, oh, yeah. Um, Preach. <laughs> and, you know, the thing that is so important to remember is that when we're talking about our understanding of sexuality, it's not just about sex. It really informs, you know, the way we see our place in the world, the way we mm-hmm. think about ourselves and our bodies and respecting ourselves as a whole person, including our sexuality. Yeah. You know, when you put sexuality on this pedestal over here and put it in a place of um you know fear it's really more Mm -hmm. of a fear and not of a honoring or respect you Mm -hmm. know that really has major implications for people um well beyond any kind of sexual relationship it really informs so many parts of the way we see ourselves and i think that is um 
what's so harmful about it and um yeah to just understand that you know yeah if you can't be in a kind of like what you're talking about with your friend and her not allowing people in her life that she can't be herself with you know if you're in a congregation um and you can't be yourself whether you are figuring out your gender identity or figuring out you know sexual you know what what your um, sexual orientation is or things like that if you can't have the space to explore that in that environment um that may not be a safe place for you um so I would yeah. just encourage everyone to make sure yeah. you have that safety. Um, yeah. I don't yeah. know if I kind of went on a tangent there, but it just, it struck me kind no, of with what you said. But. I, th- I think it's important. Um, a lot of us who've grown up in evangelicalism can have this very one-eyed view of faith and the expression of faith thinking that our way is the only way and everything else outside of that is some lesser form of Christianity. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really, um, that is kind of, I'm learning that that's just not true. Mm -hmm. Um, And and again, I got a Snapchat because I've just moved three hours away from uh, my hometown. Um, I got a Snapchat from um, a beautiful friend at the, who's, who goes to the church that I was going to in Sale. Um, and she's actually a pastor at that church in Sale. And she's, she sent me a Snapchat and she said, oh, there's this church in St Kilda. Um, it's from our denomination and they've just ordained a, um, a female um, openly gay pastor who's, in a, who's, who's partnered in a relationship and she said, oh, it might be a place that you, you felt safe to practice your faith if you wanted to continue to go to church. And I just loved the respect that she had when she recognised the trauma that church had brought me. And also, um, even though she knew that church might not be the place for me right now, she was like, oh, they're affirming. That means a lot to Kit. I'm going to tell her that they exist. <laughs> not to demand I go, but to be like, they exist they'd be safe, they wouldn't judge you for being affirming of your ex-husband's sexuality and for like living with him and raising children with him. And I, um, it was a nice moment for me because I was like, oh, there's people out there who aren't so dogmatic about their faith who are willing to go, okay, my expression of faith might be different from, from yours, but here's a place that I, I thought might be okay for you. So I liked that. I'm probably not going to go, but I like to have that conversation. Um, And I think um, before we kind of wrap up this, we mentioned a couple of times practice, Mm -hmm. like when you're like, whether it's your boundaries around the topics you're willing to discuss, whether it's about around whether or not you wish to continue going to church, whether it's around what you're okay with in a relationship or with physical kind of, like it takes a lot for an ex-complementarian person, especially a woman, to go, I'm not okay with this. So it takes practice. What is some advice that you can give people who might come up against that internalized voice of shame going, oh, you can't say no, you can't say no, um, or, you know, how do I raise my voice? How do you practice letting your assertiveness kind of come to the front? Yeah, I think... Um you practice it 
in even your day-to-day friendships or relationships with coworkers, you know, you can practice these skills outside of a more um, emotional environment, which may be mm-hmm. a date or um, yeah. a sexual, you know, a, a time where you know you want to be intimate with someone. Um, yeah. I think you practice it that way. And also just um, understanding that you are protecting your body and you're protecting yourself from um you know trauma and you're you're taking care of your body and so saying no to that kind of trauma or um saying no Mm -hmm. to some kind of um situation or activity that feels uncomfortable for you that's really you protecting yourself and Mm -hmm. there's reasons why you may feel that that anxiety rise up in you and You know, it's always good to just take a beat and just figure out what it is. And if it's if it's a real, you know, if it's some repressed trauma that you need to work through, give yourself space to do that. If it's something that really is a no for you, then you need to, you know, figure out how to express it. And I would just say practice, um, practice in scenarios that aren't as. Um, seemingly high stakes or not as emotional yeah. before you get to the scenario where, um, you know, you may be putting yourself in even more uncomfortable situations and just um, yeah. giving yourself a lot of like patience and grace. And honestly, mm-hmm. in my experience, um, being really brutally honest and open with, with people, even yeah. if you know, someone you are interested in is not um, familiar with purity culture, Mm -hmm. if they are a respectful person, they're going to respect a boundary that you put up and or or an explanation of, you know, whatever kind of explanation you want to give about your feelings about sex or your issues around sex. So yeah. And I think also in line with that, it is okay to talk to a potential partner and say, this is where I've come from. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is okay to say, this is how I was raised. Um, I am working through this myself. And do you know what? Some people may actually go away and do their research and, and learn how to support you in that. Like they might listen to podcasts like this. And I encourage people to listen to podcasts like this if their partner is dealing with um, perhaps religious trauma or deconstruction of faith or deconstruction of purity culture. And the reason that I'm talking about purity culture like over a few sessions and the reason it's come up is because it is so linked with shame. It is Mm -hmm. so linked with despising the body and the body's desires. It is so linked with um, not knowing about consent or not knowing that consent can be withdrawn or not knowing um, what is real consent versus what is just kind of agreement to go along with something because you feel guilty or because you paid for dinner or because whatever. Yeah. Um, like there's, there's much bigger conversations to be had here, but if you feel that you're, um, you know, that you need support in this from people, be honest with them. If you feel that you need support from a partner, be honest with them. If you feel that talking about it is going to traumatize you, find some good resources 
and have them listen to them because I think that is helpful as well so they can go oh this is what my girl's been through or this is what my guy's been through I get it um and and just knowing and you know holding space that way can be a really beautiful thing um so yeah that's kind of just something that's popped up for me um as we wrap up what have been some of the key self-care mechanisms that you've used to, to hold space for yourself over the course of your deconstruction both in terms of faith and sexuality yeah I um I really think that when you grow up, at least in the kind of faith that I grew up in, in Christianity, um, there's a real big um, desire to separate the body and the spirit because, of course, Mm -hmm. the body is evil and the spirit, (laughs) as long as it's the spirit of God, is good. And so figuring out how to um, join those together and not hate my own body and not Mm. betray my own body has been really, Mm. um, really helpful. And I've, you know, done that in terms of uh, just dancing or enjoying music or um, Mm. wearing clothes that more reflect how I want to adorn this body that takes care of me and that I get to care for. And, um, enjoying you know luxuries which for me means like you know a bath bomb or like you know a nice a nice cream or something like that I try not to make it all about beautification because ultimately I don't owe beauty to anyone but oh yes bam you know just (laughs) making it in terms of like me loving my body and loving how I feel in my body and um I think those things have been really important also um, I yeah. don't want to get too yeah. explicit, but also just enjoying, you know, solo sex is really mm-hmm. beautiful as well. If that's something you're interested in, um, yeah. if you're curious about it, just yeah. take the time to, you know, figure yeah. it out. I know for me, I, I literally didn't even know that people with my, you know, setup could actually <laughs> masturbate. And, um, look, neither, <laughs> I, neither. I didn't, yeah, I didn't, was, I was... didn't know until I was probably like 22 or 23 and I'm not that much older than that. So don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Just if it's something you're interested in, just go for it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I laugh, but it yeah. is, it is true. Like you kind of, there, there's, that's a thing within purity culture mm-hmm. is that, that any expression of of sex or sexuality outside of marriage makes you kind of chewed up gum and I want to say to the listeners out there you are not chewed up gum nobody is chewed up gum Mm -mm. nobody is like you are valid you are valuable you are beautiful you are you know worth so much more than the metaphors that have been thrown at us via purity culture but as you progress out into the world whether it is um you know that there are people who will still choose to, to save sex for a committed relationship. And um, I don't know, I think that's probably me. Um, and there are people who are going to choose to to have, you know, they might have casual partners and that's fine too. As long as you're within your integrity, that you're within your boundaries, that you feel safe, that you feel validated, 
um, in making the, the choices of what you say yes and you say no to, uh, you need to know that whatever your expression of sexuality is, that's fine. Mm-hmm. That's okay. It doesn't decrease your value as a human being. And I think um, purity culture is coming under um, warranted scrutiny, I think. And, um, yeah, I just encourage all of the listeners out there who are listening to this and finding it a little bit uncomfortable to talk about, um, the things that make us uncomfortable, don't shun them straight away. Sometimes they make us uncomfortable because they're hitting on a wound within us that is asking for healing. So... Um, yeah. Thank you, Blair Rabin from Talk Purity to Me. Your social media handles, my friend. What are they? Yeah, I have my Instagram page. That's where the majority of my content is, and that is Talk Purity to Me. Um, a little pun there. I don't know if it translates to all accents, but um, <laughs> yeah. It so that's it. And then also, uh, I'm over on TikTok. It's a very new platform for me. So don't judge me too harshly. But I have been making um, some TikTok things over there because Christian TikTok what? and purity culture TikTok is alive and well. So I've oh. been uh, I've been over there. <laughs> All right. Well, I think um, I might have to check out TikTok. I'm probably too old for TikTok. I don't know. I think anyway, I am I think... too, but, you know, I'm I'm in it now, so. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for repping the cause and thank you for talking to me today. Of course. I'm Kit Kennedy. This is Unchurchable.